legends are true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Donald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. This episode is brought to you by Skinny Pop Popcorn. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious. Oh, so light and crunchy. Skinny Pop Original Popcorn is the snack you've been searching for. Made with just three simple ingredients, popcorn kernels, sunflower oil, and salt. Snacking never felt or tasted so good. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious. Give yourself permission to snack and pick up Skinny Pop Original Popcorn today. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com MBO. Terms and conditions apply. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. Hello and welcome to the Radio Times podcast with me, Jane Garvey, and top TV critic Rihanna Dillon. We've got some good stuff this week. Rihanna, how are you? First of all, are you all right? I'm okay, thanks. It's so nice to be back in studio with you. It is. It's lovely, it's isn't it? It's a thrill. It? It's proper homely as well. Yeah. Put us in a very small space today. I don't, know, I don't know what we've done wrong. <laughs> uh, some interesting stuff this week and actually quite varied. Um, Ant and Dex Limitless Win, their new quiz show. We're going to look at a Netflix film, Munich Edge of War, and quite a controversial documentary. Inside Dubai, I feel like you absolutely roasted me last week for wanting to watch The Language of Love. And as I was sitting watching Inside Dubai, Mm. I was thinking, oh, this is Jane's revenge, I see. Yes, a lot of people have got views on the BBC series Inside Dubai, The Playground of the Rich. And we focus on The Responder. It's a new police drama coming to BBC One. I got the chance to talk to the series writer, Tony Schumacher, as well as the star of the show, Martin Freeman. Now, Tony was himself a police responder. And here's a clip where he's describing what it's like to be in that role. You know, if you're a doctor, you're a doctor, your job's there, that's it, you've got to heal someone tonight you know but when you're a copper you kind of I might be a social worker tonight Mm -hmm. I might be a bit of an undertaker I might be a a crime scenes investigator or I might just be a counsellor yeah that's Tony Schumacher he's the real thing because he's been a police responder and he's got an interesting backstory he was someone who by his own admission didn't do well at school and always wanted to be a writer and now he is one and this is his first TV show so there's a lot riding on this for him and I have to say I think it's going to be a massive success. So you're back up and at it and being all cultural? Yes, I went to the theatre for the first time in God knows how long. 
to see the shark is broken um, at the Ambassador Theatre. Ambassador Theatre. It doesn't, to my shame, it doesn't mean a thing to me. Well, it's about Jaws. So if you're a fan of Jaws, then you might really enjoy this. And it was conceived and stars the son of Robert Shaw, who plays Quint in the film. And his son, Ian Shaw, looks identical to him and sounds like him. And it was just such a transporting... Phenomenal performance, really, from him, especially. If you're into your Spielberg, you'll yeah. love it. OK, well, that's a, that's a recommendation. Yeah. Uh, now to something. Uh, it's the first show we're going to talk about this week, and it's a series of three documentaries. It's on BBC iPlayer, Inside Dubai, The Playground of the Rich. And if you haven't caught any of this, here is a clip. If you're having a bad day in Dubai, you're really not having a bad day. Dubai a man-made oasis in the Arabian desert. Home to 52,000 millionaires. How many handbags do you have? I don't know. Are any of them fakes? A fake? And two and a half million expats. So your job is to just take photos of women in beautiful places? Yes. Welcome to Dubai. <laughs> a city where East meets West. I remember going to the mall and my skirt was above my knee and they gave you a red card. Yeah, and if that had happened to me in a place where I, have, I was living, I'd, I'd have asked a few questions. But um, <laughs> what's interesting about the people who largely who contribute to this series of documentaries is they don't ask very many questions about why things are the way they are in the place they've chosen to live, which is Dubai. This is a series of three documentaries available on BBC iPlayer. It has been quite controversial. There's been quite a lot of talk about it in the newspapers. It's Inside Dubai, Playground of the Rich, and it sort of presents itself as a look at expat lifestyles in Dubai. And that's the problem that people have had with it, that there's so much unsaid mm. in these programmes about what life is like for many people who also live in that part of the world. So um, I know you have misgivings about Inside Dubai, <laughs> but first of all, did you find it entertaining? No, it, it got me. It made my blood pressure boil so much that it made me feel ill more than entertained. Genuinely, really? okay. and I kept st like I stormed into the kitchen to get some water halfway through, and was just just spewing all of this bile about it. Poor Mike <laughs> just had to be my sounding board. Mike is Rihanna's partner, everybody. <laughs> yes, and uh, it was, and then I made him watch ten minutes of it with me, so just to see if I was being completely unreasonable. What really got your goat? <clears throat> I think it was just how awful all of these expats in particular were and how much they paraded their wealth and, as you say, didn't ask any questions because as long as they are living in a life of luxury, they clearly have no interest in what else is going on in that country. Who else has to be sacrificed for them to live that sort of life? Yeah. And there was this woman who was saying, oh, God, oh, no, I wouldn't have had another child if I couldn't have had a nanny. That was Gaynor. Gaynor! God! I wonder whether what you're saying will interest people who haven't seen it and make them think, oh, I'll, if it's annoyed Rihanna Dillon that much, I'm going to watch it. I think there are some really important documentaries that ought to be made about Dubai mm. and these three programmes are not those documentaries. But they, I thought what they did very cleverly, actually, and I'm assuming it was entirely deliberate, mm. was that they let the contributors dig their own holes. Yes, didn't they just? And they did, brilliantly. Um, and... Uh, you don't feel an ounce of sympathy for them because... Well, there's nothing to feel sympathy no. for. I mean, they were clearly, the documentary makers were told, you can only make these programmes on this basis. Mm -hmm. And they have done it. And like I say, they do invite the contributors to 
make themselves look pretty stupid. They, they, they do that, don't they, by asking, what do you really think of Sheikh Mohammed? And would you say anything negative about him? And they him? give themselves and, away by saying, oh, I can't really talk about that. Yes, or why would I say anything negative about him? It's, it's wonderful here. Yeah. And well, they, it might be wonderful there if you're, if you're white yes. and if you're British and or uh, another European nationality, I assume. We, uh, they only focus on British people who are making a living there, yeah. don't they? And also it's made very clear that you have to keep on making your living. Mm. And if you are in danger of losing your job, then you, you're out. You can't stay there. Uh, but there's so so many things I wanted to ask more about. So the wonderful, wonderful in speech marks hotel that's being built now with 92 separate swimming pools. 92. <laughs> and I thought, well, OK, who is building that yeah. swimming pool? What are their lives like? And is there ever going to be a documentary made about them? And at the moment, I just don't think you get permission to make that documentary. No, you you certainly you certainly see another side. We see one of the staff, Chef Hazel, um, digging around in a secondhand shop for swimwear, and so that immediately just shows the disparity. So no matter how much Gainer says that she pays them above the minimum wage, which is three hundred pounds a month her staff are still kind of having to essentially underwear, get secondhand underwear, <laughs> swimwear. Um, so I think that just tells you everything you need to know. And then seeing Hazel break down because she only gets to see her son once a year, has done that for 20 years, is absolutely devastating and heartbreaking. So this is a production by the company Spun Gold TV. and <laughs> That's quite an apt name, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> I wonder what you think. Do you think they should have made it? Or do you think they should have said, no, we're, we're actually, you're putting too many restrictions upon us, we're, we're not going to make this programme? Because I would make the case that maybe these programmes have drawn attention to all the inequalities in Dubai and to the really superficial lifestyle enjoyed by those people who've chosen to make a living there. It's not even an, enough of an expose because the people like the staff, the people like the workers aren't allowed to say anything negative because if they do, either they'll get chucked out of the country or lose their jobs. But you see, I then, I drew conclusions from the fact that they weren't able... Yes, you're an intelligent woman, Jane. What? <laughs> well, that's another area of dispute. Um, well, I think we can probably politely agree to disagree on this. I think it's more enlightening than you're giving it credit for. Yes, possibly. And I was, I will admit, I was in a foul mood when I watched it already. I'd just done an exercise class and my eyeballs felt like they were going to explode. So You're in no position to judge anything. <laughs> uh, this is Inside Dubai, the playground of the rich. Um, tell us which side of our fiery debate you're on. Uh, podcast at radiotimes.com. All episodes are on the BBC iPlayer for you to either endure or enjoy in a slightly cynical way. Either of those two things. Let's talk then about the Netflix film, which has had quite a lot of attention because it's got a stellar cast. It's Munich, The Edge of War, and it's available on Netflix from Friday, the 21st of January. Has had a limited cinema release as well, this one. Rihanna, tell us a little bit about it. It's about the Munich Treaty and what almost happened to stop it. And it's told from the perspective of Leggett, who is a fictionalised version of uh, Neville Chamberlain's private secretary, Prime Minister at the time, obviously, and also his German best friend who he'd gone to Oxford with. Yeah. And um, they had this, this sort of golden age in the early 30s. And then what happens what, six years down the line, where they've ended up on opposite ends of the spectrum and yet still kind of fighting for the same thing. They become 
reluctant spies because I suppose technically they're civil servants. Yeah, well, that's absolutely right. And civil servants are very much in the news at the moment, as we all know. Uh, let's have a clip then from the film. We've got Jeremy Irons as Neville Chamberlain. Uh, who's playing Leggett? It's George Mackay, who you might know from 1917, yep. which was an incredible war film, actually, if we're going to talk about war films. Um, also films like Sunshine on Leith. So he kind of does a bit of everything. OK, and also in this clip, we have Alex Jennings as Horace. Alex Jennings is in everything like this. You will recognise him from pretty much every British period drama ever. Last night's agreement only settles a tiny dispute. There will be others. And I want him to publicly commit himself to peace. Oh, Leggett, make sure there's a car available at 11. To the Führerbach? No. Ah, you've put my name before his. It should be the other way around. Otherwise, good. Yes, I wanted to have a private meeting with him. Man to man, no officials. He invited me to his apartment. What? No officials? Not even you, Horace. Oh, for God's sake, you can't go and see Hitler entirely on your own. Can and will. Gentlemen, we must rise to the level of events. That's Jeremy Irons as Neville Chamberlain. Um, I have loved Jeremy Irons ever since Brideshead revisited oh, original version yes. back in the 1980s. And I think he's a, he's a great actor. He is. I was lucky enough to interview him last month, actually, for House of Gucci. And, and that was a really special moment. He was, he was great, actually. I found this unexpectedly, actually. I've read the book. I love Robert Harris. Mm -hmm. I found this unexpectedly moving. Mm. And I didn't, I didn't think I would. Partly, of course, because you grow up, I mean, if you're my sort of age in your 50s, you've grown up in Britain, you, you have a certain, you probably don't know enough about it, but you have a view of Neville Chamberlain as, yes. a, frankly, a failure. Yes. And someone who appeased the Nazis and is, oh, dreadful. And this, this very carefully makes the case for him being a rather different figure. But I think there are, I don't want to give too much away, but there are scenes in which something could have happened one of the characters gets the opportunity to do something. And we know that, that we... OK, Quentin Tarantino did Inglorious. I won't say the second word of that film title. But I know it, yes. And um, he rewrote history with that film. Um, Just remind us how. Because he killed off Hitler really early on. And this obviously can't do that. This is bound no, to but fact. And it's... so at no point did I feel like there was any real tension because I knew exactly how this played out. Well, even I knew how it played out, but it was the fact that he could have he could have changed the course of history. I mean, I don't actually know whether that... Is that an entirely fictionalised... He's a fictional character, so you're talking about the German friend of Leggett. Yeah, who, who has his moment on his own. Yes, with, with Hitler. Adolf Hitler. Yeah. And um, there, of course there were plots to kill Hitler. Oh, yeah. But obviously none of them worked, and we know that. And so this that's why I was slightly frustrated with this, because it I thought it needed to find tension elsewhere rather than relying on will he, won't he. Yeah. And I felt like it didn't do that well enough. We should also um, talk a little bit about the actor who plays Adolf Hitler because I always feel it's a completely thankless <laughs> task, isn't yes, it? it is. So who is it? It's Ulrich Mattis and you'll know him from Downfall, which was another film about Hitler, right. where he played Joseph Goebbels, also a very thankless role. Um, so, but he is, I thought he was, he, he gives a very, he gives quite a nuanced portrayal of Hitler, actually. Um, and it's not sort of hammy, and it no, doesn't it feel comedic. Um, you feel the tension throughout. Mm. And, you know, I sort of think when, when Christoph Waltz is playing a Nazi in something like Inglorious, he is incredibly camp alongside the 
kind of horrendous nature of, yeah. of being a Nazi. And I do think that Mattes did a really interesting job. And he doesn't he doesn't look identical to him, and that didn't matter. No, no. I really enjoyed this, and I, I think a lot of people will. It's one of those films you can you have to give a bit of time to and um, just appreciate the care they've taken. I think it's had some quite lukewarm reviews. I mean, I feel quite lukewarm Do about you? it. Okay, yeah. I think that's a bit unfair. I don't feel like it really made me feel anything particularly, considering it's about a country on the edge of war. Um, I did, there are a few, I mean, the performances I thought were good. But I didn't feel like there was a kind of storming passion behind any of it, really. It felt very, you know, we were looking at diplomats in rooms a lot of the well, time. Yeah, but that's and how it was. I, oh, absolutely. You can't have special effects and fighting <laughs> scenes in every film. But, but that's where the tension and the script needs to be so on point then. Okay. And I didn't feel like it was. I didn't feel engaged enough. I just thought, oh, God, this is how long? Two hours, 20 minutes? Are you kidding? It wasn't that long because uh, believe me, I struggle to give attention to anything over ninety minutes long. And I did maybe I had a break in the middle of this. I don't I think know. It was about it's two hours ten minutes, and I have a very short attention span. And I was not bored for a moment. Good, but maybe there's something about men in suits talking in rooms that appeals to me. Who knows? <laughs> you see, I just I, I honestly don't understand quite where you're coming from in terms of the lack of attention because to me there definitely was attention, mm. and it's always really sad when a sort of university friendship ends in circumstances like this. It does happen, not in quite such extreme... Oh I hope it doesn't no, very often no, anymore. No, but, you know, your lives change and views yes. change. And, well, I'm sure if we talked for a little bit longer, uh, Rihanna would very sensibly come round to my way <laughs> of thinking. But we don't have 24 <laughs> hours, so we'll march on to the responder, on which I think there might be some agreement. Thank goodness. I don't think I can take much more of this. <laughs> uh, it's the new BBC One police drama. Yes, it really is. Wow. Uh, starts Monday, the 24th, January and the entire series will then be as a box set on the iPlayer after that first episode has gone out. Now I've got to say I have gobbled up two episodes. I will be that person watching all of the responder as soon as it becomes available. It stars Martin Freeman and I talk to him alongside the writer Tony Schumacher. You'll hear that interview in a minute as well as Rihanna's review of the responder. First of all, just give people a brief idea of what this is about. So Martin Freeman plays Chris Carson who is a a first responder in Liverpool. So we find out that he has been demoted. So he was a detective and he's now been Put back. Put back, yes. Mm. Um, and he's really good friends, maybe a bit too close, with the local drug lord. So we're talking, old friends. Yeah. We're talking about um we're talking about bank coppers, Jane. Well we are, but he's also he's also a good copper in a curious way. Anyway, there's I let's talk more in a moment. Let's hear a clip from the series. We should say that Martin Freeman's character of Chris Carson is he's on the edge. He's hes having a tough time emotionally, uh, mental, mental health issues, um, troubles in his marriage. There's a lot going on. And so, not surprisingly, he's attempting to, I don't know, make some sense of it all in the company of his therapist. All right, we will uh, we'll try something different. I, I want to talk. Of course. Yeah, but I can't. I'm I'm wrapped up in here, you know. I want to speak. I want to speak. Christ. I want to believe in you. That you can help me. But I've got another week of nights stretching out in front of me, and I can feel it. I'm going to crack. Then let me help you, then. Tell me what you want from this. 
want to be a good Bobby. Well, that was just a tempting clip. There is a lot going on in The Responder, and that's just from the first episode. So let's listen to Martin Freeman and the writer of The Responder, Tony Schumacher. And a reminder, of course, Tony has done the job himself. Um, I asked Martin uh, just how good he was at the Scouse accent before he started making the show. I would say that my Scouse probably would have been a pretty good first stab, but not precise enough. But... I just worked and worked at it. Really. And who helped you? Well, I had a, a session with the late, great Joan Washington. I had one session with her, and then I had one session after her, and, yeah, that was it. But I just talked to myself around the house a lot in the accent. You know, so anything that I would... Because I'm always talking to myself anyway, so I just made everything. <laughs> I said all the same stuff, but just in a Scouse accent. OK. It's actually probably quite cathartic, isn't it, to get it all out it of is, the It is, yeah, because yeah. it, yes, it's a chewy... It's a nice, chewy uh, region, you know, So it, and it does feel visceral, and it immediately... As all accents do, to be fair, but it makes you feel different, and it makes you walk differently, it makes you hold yourself differently. You say you walk differently when you're a Scouse. Yeah. What, what, well, because every... Well, and also because he's the, the individual who he is. So, you know, so you're not playing generic oh this is Liverpudlian number four but like Chris is from Liverpool therefore how uh, he is informs the way I walk and I think it, he would have been different if he'd been from London or Cardiff or anywhere as as we all are I don't think I don't think region completely defines anybody at all but it does inform it at some level watching this Tony I did I did remember um, boys from the black stuff and and there is there are echoes of that aren't there because there are sometimes during this when it felt to me like it was a plea for understanding of the police force in a way it's not you know it is a cry for help for the police to some extent but I well, think an appeal for understanding I guess in some an appeal ways. for understanding I think as well and you just want to shine a light on things that maybe don't occur to people but it's also like it, it's there's this kind of weird situation that we're in now where it's not weird it's tragic you know with like male suicide levels are so high you know and, and, and men are struggling to adjust to a new world you know a better world but, but still struggling to adjust to it you know and wanting to adjust to it and I, I, I kind of wanted to show someone who was trying to be better and trying to adjust and trying to be move forward you know the idea that the the central character chris is not played by a scouser did did you have qualms about that because no not at all you didn't no, no not at all when i was a copper um you know i'd look around the table and, and probably you know on good days when there was six of us around a table you know there'd be probably only two or three coppers you know it, i worked in uh, st Helens for a while which is a small town outside Liverpool it's not a small town it's a good town outside Liverpool and I used to get called out by people to like translate for young scallies you know we were kicking off in the back of the van like I'll kick it head in lad and all this and I'd turn up and have to translate because the coppers who were there weren't from Liverpool and couldn't understand what he was saying so it wouldn't have been a problem for Martin it, you know I mean he could do it in any accent he could have done it in Scottish for all I care, you know, because he's just so good. But I never, it, it's weird because we had conversations beforehand. I never doubted that he'd do it. At the moment, I think it's fair to say the reputation of the police has probably never been lower. And plenty of people in Liverpool had things to say about the police way back anyway. Um, do, what, what have you, what have you learnt about being in the police force from, from doing this, if anything? I've always had respect for police, for people who want to do that job, because I know I don't. And I do genuinely think someone has got to. So uh, uh, I've never been that particularly, even at my most lefty, I've never been that down on the police. Do you know what I mean? Because I know that they're, they're people who hopefully are trying to do something vaguely helpful. My respect went up for them, I suppose, is the truth. 
uh, and it was already pretty high. Yeah, they, they, they do a lot. <laughs> they, and, they, and every time they go to work, and especially in this job as a responder, it's, uh, it's potentially your last day yeah. on earth, potentially. Well, I mean, from what we see of what Chris does, it's sort of 50% social work, isn't it? That's a lot more. of it, absolutely, a lot of it is, yeah. It's a hell of a job, man. I mean, even just lugging the, as Adelaide said earlier on in that Q&A, even lugging the uniform and the big belt of just stuff around makes you go, well, yeah, no wonder you can get quite pissed off as a cop. <laughs> even sitting down into a car seat it's is hard. quite annoying. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's like all these things sticking into you and your vest is going up into your neck. And Was it like that when you, because you were a responder, weren't you, Tony? Yeah. Well, actually, just define responder for me, would you? Uh, the responder's the guy who does all the 999 calls. So you, you spend your night kicking in doors or, you know, chasing people from up and down entries. You know, you are, you're a firefighter, basically. And every night, it's like a kaleidoscope. You just don't know what colour's going to set on each night. You, you get up, you go out, and there's no... You can't really say, you know, if you're a doctor, you're a doctor, your job's there, that's it, you're going to heal someone tonight, you know. But when you're a cop, you, you kind of... I might be a social worker tonight. Mm -hmm. I might be a bit of an undertaker. I might be a, a crime scenes investigator, or I might just be a counsellor. Mm. You know, and you just don't know, you know, you wear a, a million different hats and not all of them fit, you know, sometimes you, you're good at one thing, some Bobbies are good at one thing and not good at something else. You know? Absolutely, I mean, because why would someone who's, you know, why would someone necessarily be good at all that if you're brilliant at kicking indoors? Exactly. Why would you be great at talking sometimes to a 12-year-old? Sometimes you've got massive feet. You know? <laughs> you know what I mean? But if you're great as a social worker, maybe you're not going to be that handy in a riot. Who knows? You know, like, yeah. it's a lot. That's, that's why I, I respect it, because you... You're having to take on an awful lot of stuff that most of us have no idea, no, not a clue about, you know. I think most of us have quite a one-dimensional idea of what it is the police do. Mm. And of course, when we hear bad stuff um, and we're understandably uh, outraged by that, I think there's a tendency in any job that we don't do to judge it purely by that. And it's, it's, it's unfair and it's very short-sighted, I think. Did you left the police in what year, Tony? Uh, 2006, I think it was. I can't remember if it was six or seven, but it was 2006. Have you still got mates who do it? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah I've still got mates who do it. Um, I went to a retirement do a couple of months ago, you know. It's a different job from what I was doing, but essentially it's the same. You know, the job I was doing was what people were doing in London when Robert Peel was in power, which is just dealing with people in crisis. As a responder, you're like a Swiss Army knife of that, you know, you're just there dealing with people in a crisis with whatever tool you've got to deal with it emotionally. And your mates presumably would tell you if you'd got anything in this series wrong. Oh they? my God, oh, Jane, mm. honestly, when I walked into that bar a couple of months ago and everyone looked at me and I thought, if I messed this up... Because they dead. knew you were doing the show. Absolutely. But, you know, one of the things and what Martin just touched on there was I've not set out to paint this lovely cheery picture it's not Dixon and Doc Green you know I've, I've, I've sitting one for the kids it's what I've set out to do I something. get it unfortunately <laughs> <laughs> it's something I wanted to show the good the bad the emotional soul it takes everything I want I want it to be as, as human as it possibly can be Chris is conflicted isn't he because he isn't 100% good he's trying to be yeah but and he you can see why he's, he's you can see what his motives are mm -hmm. But I wasn't sure. I've only watched the first episode. I loved it, by the way. But I'm not sure what I'm supposed to think of him. Well, that's, I think that's reality. As a copper, 
you can have these moments where you just think, I just don't know what I'm doing here. I just don't know what I'm doing. And did you, you have moments like I, that? Oh my God, I'm having one now. You know, mm. I've, I've sat in, uh, you know, I've sat in interviews with people and looked at them across the table and thought, I just don't know what to say to you. And I wanted to capture that honesty, that reality. Uh, Bobby said to me really early on, I've been in the job for about two months. And he said to me, it's just act like you know what you're doing. That's it. That's all you've got to do. I mean, you haven't played... Well, you have played police officers or people in uniform before, Martin? Yeah, not, yeah. not much. Hardly no, ever. Okay. Yeah, not, not for this sort of sustained time. But just coming back to what you said about, uh, you know, you, you're not really sure what to make of Chris. That, in a nutshell, is why I wanted to do it. That's what I responded... When I, when I saw the pilot script at the beginning of 2019, I, I really appreciated the fact that we weren't being told what to think one way or the other. And I think that is relatively rare, even in our more sort of enlightened times. Uh, it's relatively rare to have actual sort of moral ambivalence, I suppose, you know, because mm. at the end of it, you still have a sort of goodie and a baddie. And I think um, Tony's script is peopled with a cast of characters who are all sort of, yeah, a bit good, a bit bad. <laughs> Everyone's just sort of trying, you know what I mean? And they're trying mm. their best. And I love the fact that Chris is trying his best and sometimes failing, because I think we'll... Who on God's earth is not going to relate to that? You know, ev everybody is trying our best, I assume, and failing sometimes. You know, and, uh, he's just doing it in a, in a uniform. I guess. Sure. Have you had any personal ex experience with the police? I was going. I mean, have you ever been arrested or never been stopped? No, I've been stopped, but I've I was I gave my mum I think quite a calm teenage and young, yeah because I'd seen him. I'm the youngest of five, and I'd, I'd seen that happen. I thought, oh, I don't want to make my mum make that noise again. <laughs> Christ. OK, um, what about you, Tony, today? Oh, God, I, I was a skelly, you know. People who watch the show, I was Marco. Uh, I, like, I grew up in a, in a tough working-class area. We were constantly getting chased by the busies, you know. That was, it was part and parcel of growing up. And Don't get me wrong, I wasn't robbing banks, but, you know, I was a daft kid. So, yeah, I never set out to be a copy. You see, I come from an area where it was very much us and them. It was just I fell into it, you know. Just, because we're slightly out of time, but just tell us how you go from, you know, have you been a cabbie, you've been a responder in the police, you're now yeah. a writer. So you're a full-time writer. Yeah. Some people, I mean, that is a massive, it's a dream. Oh, God. So how... I mean, you say Jimmy McGovern was able to help you, but, I mean, how have you got here? I, I lost everything. I'd, I'd always wanted to be a writer as a kid, and, like I say, I was too thick. I just couldn't do it. I wasn't... You know, where people go, like, oh, I was really good at English at school, but I failed all my exams. I, I was crap at English as well, you know what I mean? But I just wanted to do it, you know? And um, I got a U in my English O-level and cried all the way home for school because I thought some weird way, I know I'm going to pass this one, didn't, <laughs> failed miserably, ended up becoming a roofer. But um, I just lost everything and thought something inside me broke. When I come out the police, I was broken. Something had happened in my head that said, you know, it, you can do what you want now, you know? And it, it enabled me to reach into them parts that were broken, to see things differently and do things differently. And that's how I ended up doing what I thought. I try not to think about it too much, to be honest with you, Jane, because if I do, I'll probably go, ah, oh, right, I can't do it anymore. All right, great. Thank you both very much.
Very polite there, aren't I? That was me talking to Martin Freeman and Tony Schumacher, who does have, he's got such a good life story. I mean, you should probably write a book about how he's got to where he is and how. Um, I, I will, I'll leave it to you, first of all, because I've got some thoughts. But, mm. Rihanna, what did you think of the responder? Well, initially, you know, on paper, as I said, bent coppers. We've seen it before. It's yes. not the most original story. Um, but actually, well, we don't, I mean, is he, we don't know that he, I've only seen two episodes. Is he bent? Well, I think I think we can safely say that if if a copper is really good friends with a drug lord, there's something iffy going on. Yeah, well, what a, loyalty to your friends is a fine thing. <laughs> but it is done in a really interesting way, and I think because his the character Chris is really kind of suspicious. People don't like him, um, who work with him, and yet we know actually he kind of has. A, a heart of gold. I hate. I do. I don't like that phrase. Some of but... the people he's dealing with on the streets do. Well, he's kind to them. He's unexpectedly... He listens to a little bit, doesn't kind he? Kind to them, yeah. Yes, and he looks out for them a little bit. And, uh, you know, his colleagues aren't huge fans, but they clearly respect something. I like that there is this backstory going on that is kind of eked out that we find out in Dribs and Drabs. Um, also, he has this really loving, gorgeous wife, played by Miana Buring. And you sort of think, because she's so... Great in the well, at least in the first episode, it's what I've seen so far. First episode and a half, then it kind of sheds a better light on him. You know that there's something in there for her to well, believe in. She is somebody who's she's trying to reach him in yes. his mental despair. But I, I, I do understand what you mean about yet another police drama involving suggestions of corruption. Mm-hmm. But what I really liked about this was that it did. It really exposed, and I've only seen the first two episodes, the, the social work side yes. of being a police officer. And I've, I've have heard police officers talk about this before, and but I've never really seen it in this way. Um, and obviously this is fiction, this is a mm-hmm. work of fiction, but because Tony Schumacher has done that job, I think it really does have an authenticity. I agree, and he talked about in that clip about being a social worker, but also yeah. having to deal, uh, being an undertaker, having to yeah. deal with dead bodies. and sudden, Call to sudden deaths all the time. Yes, and you see Chris sitting in an apartment of this elderly woman who's died, and he can't really do anything. He has to wait for the ambulance to arrive, I, so he just sits and has a cup of tea next no, to the dead body. No, he doesn't than that he steals the soup that the woman's the dead woman's daughter has sent round with the grandson and it's waiting in a thermos and he just thinks oh well that was only going to go to waste and he takes a cigarette her backy he has it and he takes her backy yeah Yeah. i mean and it's so there's gray areas there's ambivalence he behaves both well and badly in the space of 10 minutes and actually it's probably the most uh human Portrayal, or I mean, it's he's incredibly flawed, and he's not good or bad. And yeah. actually, we, so often we see bent coppers who are fully bad, or we see the ones who are like sort of Vicky McClure's character in Line of Duty, who are, have the the halo on top, you know. So actually, this is straight down the middle, and feels like one of the most realistic portrayals. And the fact that it's set in Liverpool makes such a change from like some other cities, London, Manchester, which we often see on screen. Um, so I really enjoyed that. There's a lot of grit, isn't there? Well, there is. Although Tony responder. Schumacher is quite, he's quite keen to show all aspects of Liverpool. So he mm-hmm. said to me that 
Um, he doesn't want to focus just on, I mean, it is a bit of a cliche, the sun rising and the sun setting over the Liver buildings, <laughs> which, I mean, I'm a proud scouser myself. I've seen quite a lot of yes. that on television. I don't want to be too over the top about it, but I think this is going to be one of the talked about shows of 2022. Absolutely. And I do think it fills a little bit of a gap for people who are waiting for the next series of Line of Duty. Interestingly, Vicky McClure is the cover star of this week's... Radio Times. Yes, yeah. she is. Because she's back in uniform. <laughs> I mean, it does feel like... It feels a bit weird that she is doing yet another police well, drama. She is playing a bomb disposal expert in a new ITV programme called Trigger Point, which I'm sure we'll, we'll discuss at some point on the Radio Times podcast. I hope so. Tell us what you think then about the responder. As you can tell, I'm afraid there is agreement here. We both enjoyed the responder and we'll definitely watch more. So it's podcast at radiotimes.com and the responder starts on BBC One on Monday the 24th of January and then it's all on the iPlayer afterwards. Right, Correspondence Corner, what have we got? This is one of my favourite things that I've read in a really long time. This is from Louise and she says, I was fascinated to hear you two lovely ladies, thanks, extolling the virtues of the tourist as for me it was the most excruciatingly awful thing I've seen in a long time. I must have had a sense of humour bypass as I failed to notice that the programme is part comedy. Normally I will watch two episodes of a series before giving up but I had no interest in the tourist story. I've never been to Australia but I suspect the outback is portrayed in the slightly odd way that Norfolk is portrayed in the British in British series. <laughs> Carry on the good work. <laughs> Love it! <laughs> yes, okay. Well, that's a big a firm thumbs down <laughs> for the tourist from Louise, which I, I, I'm still enjoying. But I hey. think that's fair enough. You know, people have been really split on the tourist. I thought it was great. I thought it was really fun. Um, absolutely love that you hated it so much. No, I mean, Louise, this is what it's all about. We don't need anyone to agree with anything we've said. Uh, podcast at radiotimes.com and your challenge now, if you're into writing drama, maybe this is one for Tony Schumacher, is set something of this nature in Norfolk and see how you get on. Now, our final review today is, well, it's the big new vehicle for ITV's very favourite lads, although, good grief, they're nearly as old as me. It's... <laughs> Anton Deck. <laughs> it's Anton Deck. Here's a clip from the trailer for Anton Deck's Limitless Win. Oh, my gosh. That is extraordinary. Because we're invincible. Two million, three million, four million. We got up towards one million pounds. We're invincible. Oh. You're one over, it's game over. Go seven. No, no higher than seven. No higher than seven. No. Is it an exact answer? Yeah! No, 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 no. Is anybody else's heart going 20 to the dozen? That was a quick burst of Ant Dex limitless win. And we should say, the contestants just happened to be an NHS midwife and an NHS A&E consultant. Yes, perfectly plucked out from central <laughs> casting. <laughs> uh, and of course, uh, they, I mean, it goes without saying they deserve our admiration, but they, I'm sure it wasn't by chance that they happened to be. And they were very handsome. They're a very handsome they're couple, weren't very they? Very lovely couple. Uh, obviously incredibly intelligent. Um, what is the format of this? Oh, I knew you were going to ask well, me I'm this. putting you on the spot. So something about a ladder. 
Yeah. <laughs> they have this huge sort of billboardy type thing which goes it's I mean it's literally limitless that's the point. So mm. there is no end this the total amount of pounds that they could win goes up and up and up and up. Um I do think there is actually a limit. I think it's something like four million. <laughs> right, yeah, because they can't, I mean... We, can't. We're talking about bankrupting ITV, for goodness sake. Yeah, I think that's unlikely. <laughs> um, I also, I've, isn't it weird? You realise that there's a total genius in conceiving quiz formats. And Who Wants to Be a Millionaire is a classic quiz format, isn't it? It's simple. You know exactly what the contestants have got to do. You can play along at home. And when that was at its peak, there were so f- kind of few other distractions. Mm. Social media wasn't a thing. We weren't yeah. on our phones all of the time. Yep. And so actually all of their things were, we're going to find out after the break. Kind of, you know, those hooks really kind of meant something. Mm. And in this, it just doesn't. It's, it's really groan inducing. You're like, oh God, they're just longing it out as much as possible. Yeah. So they only have, you know, what do they have? 45 minutes in total, I guess, on uh, screen. It was, yes, I suppose so, with the ad breaks. With the ad yeah, breaks. It would be, yeah. And so actually, it's, and it's just one, you know, one pairing going as far as they can, but they dissect and discuss every single answer and they have quite a long time to do it yeah. in. And the answers, and this is where I, it's fascinating this to me, that I couldn't engage with it really because the answers are all numbers. Yes, because it's, you have to give a sort of spectrum, right? It's Well, you might get it exactly right, in which case you stand to win more, don't you? You see, the fact that we don't understand it, and we're not unintelligent, believe it or not, um, it's, it's probably doesn't bode well for its future. ITV are obviously look they're wildly successful these two. Um And they've and again they they get very excited when the couples do yeah. well. They hug each other which I thought was quite sweet and endearing. They're in a bubble. I suppose <laughs> I can't remember the latest rules nobody else can from the sound of things either. I mean I started off thinking this was the blandest game show ever and then actually we did get kind of hooked. But I just don't see myself desperately wanting to watch the next episode. I'd rather watch Mastermind. Isn't it interesting, though, that every programme, and particularly programmes like this, I guess, do have to compete with phones? Yes. Because our attention spans are basically shot to pieces. And you're right, we are never going to be fully focused on television again. No, and every time it came up with something that I didn't know the answer to, I just Googled it before that they answered Never even thought of doing that. (laughs) And so it does feel a little bit pointless. Pointless, there you go, there's another, that's a fun quiz. I'm not sure this is going to be a great success for Ant and Deck. And I should say, I do admire that. I think they're, ge- they're geniuses at mm. doing live telly. I think Saturday Night Takeaway is the ideal family Saturday night entertainment. Mm-hmm. And that's had re- moments of real joy over the years on it, actually. Ultimately, it's a complicated <laughs> quiz with a long focus on just two contestants. And Where if you the answers are statistics yeah. and things like that. So we're sorry, but for me, it's... Four out of ten, this. So that was Ant and Dec's Limitless Win. You can find some episodes on the ITV Hub. And of course, it's not live. That's the other thing. And that's what they're so good at. And if you'd rather watch Ant and Dec do something else, then the story of SMTV Live is actually on the ITV Hub. And I really would recommend it. Cat Dealey comes back. They reminisce about the glory days of chums. And it really just took me back to my childhood. It was was lovely. It was a nostalgic watch. Christmas cockle warmer. It was. was. Oh, how lovely. How pathetic. Uh, Right, uh, the quiz is what we watched and in a real, I mean, we're really going for it in terms of format changing. We can slag off Ant and Deck for their quiz formats. But what we're doing in this particular run of the Radio Times podcast is that we're taking turns to answer the questions in what we watched. I think this is a terrible idea. No, well, I'm all for it. So this (laughs) means that this week you get to answer the questions. Okay, where is the fanfare, please? 
I talk about some TV and popular culture in a mystery year and Rihanna Dillon fails to tell me what that mystery year is. Here we go. Your first clue is the very first episode of Luther aired on the BBC this year. Idris Elba, of course, in the lead role. Here he is talking about why he wanted the part. So as I'm reading that first scene, I'm in Puerto Rico shooting a film out there. It's 100 degrees and I'm like instantly cold. I'm wet, I'm damp, I'm in this industrial place and this character, John Luther, who I still don't know yet, is like allowing him to hang. Just completely compelled. Oh, Henry, you're gonna fall, Henry. It's like the gift of God, you know, I can decide whether you're gonna die or not. And I was like, wow, that's deep. So I was completely brought into that scene and that script and, and, and the idea of Luther from the first page. Luther ran for five seasons. A lot, isn't it? Over nine years. Channel 4 premiered a live game show. We were talking earlier about game shows. This is the million pound drop. Davina was in charge of this one. It, um, well, things got a bit tough for Channel 4 and it became the 100k drop. <laughs> it literally bankrupted Channel 4. That's what the Limitless is worried about. And it ended up being axed in 2019. Earlier tonight, £1 million in used banknotes was picked up from a vault in a secret location. An armour-plated vehicle transferred the money to our secure set. Guards are present and monitoring the money at all times. The studio audience have been screened and identified before being admitted. Their bags and mobiles have been confiscated. And now someone has the chance to walk away with a million pounds, absolutely live, in the next hour. This is the million pound drop, live. Oof. Now there's a tense game show. Wow. I mean, goodness, I security love that. and vaults. Vault. <laughs> as soon as you talk about a vault, it really there's a seriousness oh, about it's great. that. Yeah. I think um, my partner Mike used to be a runner on Million Pound Drop, and and he loved Davina McCall. That's another good story. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? He's never really told me much about that. He didn't tell me about the vaults and everything. He just said he always just talks about how much he loves Davina McCall. So maybe I would be a little bit worried about that. Here's another clue. Uh, Matt Smith becomes the 11th Doctor Who in January of this year. Now, bide your time. Here he is. He's ravenous after his regeneration. Custard and fish fingers. As we all are. Asking a young Amelia Pond to get him some grub. I hate yogurt. Just stuffed with bits in. Cider was your favourite. New mouth. New rules. It's like eating after cleaning your teeth. Everything tastes... What is it? What's wrong with you? Wrong with me? It's not my fault. Why can't you give me any decent food? You're Scottish. Fry something. Bacon. Bacon. That's bacon. Are you trying to poison me? Matt Smith as Doctor Who. Um, do you like yoghurt with bits in? I don't. I like smooth yoghurt. Yes, I'm more of a smooth yoghurt person. Mm. From the world of politics, in this mystery year, David Cameron became Prime Minister. Remember him? Vaguely. I mean, I watch Doctor Who. I love Doctor Who. So how many series did David Tennant do before Matt Smith took over? I'm sort of thinking it was 2007, 2008. I'm not going to break any um, confidences here, but this is a podcast, so you know you're not listening to anything live. There's been a 25-minute long... <laughs> 
while Rihanna tried to come up with an answer to this. And I've given you two. Um, 2007? No. No, it's 2010. Oh! Never mind. You can... Well, you won't get your revenge next week. Uh, The Radio Times is out today. Vicky McClaw is on the cover. And inside the mag, there is a longer version of the interview, some of which you heard on the podcast with Martin Freeman and Tony Schumacher talking about The Responder. Uh, I've enjoyed it this week. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you so much. It's been really fun. Podcast at radiotimes.com. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at Radio Times. If you want a breakdown of the listings of the shows we've talked about today, make sure you look at the episode notes wherever you get your podcasts. Do follow and join us every single Wednesday. That's when we drop. But you can listen anytime you like. We can't stop you. <laughs> Do what you like. Uh, the Radio Times podcast is produced by... Something else. Yes, for Immediate Media. Have a good week. <laughs> <laughs>